Are we recording? Yep. Oh, oops. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Stevens. I am the author of the Vanessa Michael Monroe uh, book series. This is my podcast. And since I'm horrible at doing these types of things all by myself, I've recruited my good friend, Steve Campbell, to help it walk me through this and, and make this entertaining. So here we go. And between the two of us, thank you, Taylor, between the two of us, we're going to get through this series of podcasts that's leading up to the launch of your new book, The Mask. And we're talking about the different, all the different components that go into the creation, really, of a book. And you had, all authors have their own unique style and they have their own unique characters. Uh, So we're particularly looking at yours. And one of the things that makes your character, Vanessa Michael Monroe, so unique is her language skill. So this episode, we're going to be focused on the language aspect of Vanessa Michael Monroe. In my own mind, I always think of her as Michael, so we'll call her Michael. Michael has this enormous capacity to learn languages. Can you explain how she developed this, and what it's called, and and just give us some background on the whole language issue for for Michael. Okay. So um, you call her Michael. I call her Monroe. Same person. Uh, She is a language savant, and language, her ability with language, she absorbs language. Her brain just works a little differently than everybody else's, and it, it has to do with sound. Uh, She processes oral patterns very, very quickly, whether she wants to or not. It's just something that her brain does. And people like this do exist in real life. There are um, individuals who have spoken upwards of 60 languages. And whether they were savants or not, I don't know. I think the person on record with the most languages spoken is a man. He was a diplomat named Emil Krebs. And a fascinating, fascinating man who was able to translate from up to 120 languages. Good grief. (laughs) If if I'm recalling correctly, um, I don't know that he spoke each and every one of those languages, but he was fluent enough that he could translate from one to the next. Which um, a lot of people don't realize this, but translating is when it's on paper. Interpreting is when it's uh, verbal. So in in the case of, of this character, Vanessa Michael Monroe, she was born with this ability to learn languages very quickly. And this ability is pretty much the, I guess you say the impetus that guided her. Everything that happened to her in her life, which was not always pleasant, was uh, an outcome or was sourced from this ability with languages. She was born to missionary parents and she grew up in West Africa. And Because of her gift with languages, she ended up as an interpreter for gun runners at a a young age. And everything that came about, all the skills, everything, her personality, everything came about from those experiences. And none of it would have happened were it not for her gift with languages. And her ability to synthesize sound in the way that she does allows her to understand things that people don't expect her to understand and allows her to draw into the culture of a place in a way that most 
outsiders would be hard pressed to do in the speed that she's able to do it. Without her ability to process language the way that she does, those other skills wouldn't be there because they're based on her ability to grasp and understand. Here in the United States, we're primarily a monolingual culture. Of course, there are many households that are, uh, they speak two languages, but the country itself is a single language country. And if you don't speak English in some places, it can be very difficult to get by. The rest of the world is not really like that so much. In, in many countries, people grow up speaking two, three, four languages, and it's not unheard of for households to, to have individuals who speak even five or six languages just as a matter of course. So her ability with languages to Americans can seem just completely unbelievable. But to those who've grown up in other cultures, it's a little extreme, but not unheard of because they, people in many other countries grow up speaking multiple languages to begin with. Let's, let's talk about the unbelievable thing for a minute. Because I okay. know when I first read The Informationist, you know, when I read fiction, I just enjoy it. And I particularly enjoy your fiction. But I, I don't question Thank things. Thank you. That's why I have you here working <laughs> with me on this. Just, so in case for anyone else that out there wants to host this, you first have to really like Taylor's books and, and be a member of the cool kids. But... <laughs> Yes, indeed. I, I don't question these things, but I suspect other people do. Did, did you get emails from people or, or did reviews or anything say, like, this is crazy, no one can do this? Oh, yeah, just go look at the horrible reviews on Goodreads. It's like that's all you're going to see is this is so impossible, this is so impossible. How does anybody even believe this type of crap? And that was really shocking to me. There's a lot of stuff that is unbelievable in my books, that, and I, as an author, know where my weakest research points are, and I know where I'm stretching credibility, but language wasn't one of them. <laughs> so when I first started researching this character and trying to get a feel of what was doable and what was not doable in terms of language, I wanted to get an understanding of it myself. Because one of the things about writing fiction is you don't have to write what is completely believable. It just has to be plausible. And, and make sense. So if you know where the weaknesses in something are, then you can write around those weaknesses and make something make sense and, and make it plausible. So I wanted to have a grasp of how many languages can people speak? How does this, this all work? Is this even realistic enough for me to include in as part of the character's repertoire? And that's how I started learning about polyglots and hyperpolyglots and about some of these amazing people who've spoken so many languages throughout history. And it, it is mind-boggling. It's amazing. It, it is unbelievable if you haven't re researched it before. It's like, I did not know it was possible for somebody to speak 65 languages. I did not know that there were societies or clubs, kind of like Mensa, where you have to speak a minimum of, I don't know, nine or 12 languages just to get in, things like that. Um, so I can understand, in a way, why people are like, oh, this is impossible, it could never happen. But I can't understand them saying that without doing their research first. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's easy for us to, as readers to just say, well, that's not possible, and just quickly throw that into a review and move on. <laughs> so, but then that, that it, it's, uh, it makes the person look like a fool at that point if people do know better. But I guess nobody really cares. Anyway... I put it in the book, in the first book. I, I put it in there. So, I, you know, it's in, it's in the text. It's in the conversation. Well, it depends on if you count dialects or whatever, but 22 at the last count. And, and she's asked, well, is that any kind of a world record? And she's like, no, nah, another 40, and I might be start getting close. 
And I put that in there because I thought, okay, surely if somebody's is, you know, really wants to know, there's there's the facts. They can go look it up for themselves. But oh my God, no, no, it's so unbelievable. So I, I th- that was a really good eye-opening experience to me on human nature and on people. It taught me something <laughs> about people in general that I just never mm-hmm. understood before. That um, opinions matter more than facts. People will believe what they want to believe, and they will spout off like they know so much, and and they don't. But the people who are listening to them don't check. So it, it was it was really um, at first it was rather traumatizing because I was all new to the whole publishing world and I didn't know about negative reviews and it, I just it was so foreign to me. The whole thing was so foreign to me. Now I can look at it and laugh. All right, let's let's take a let's take a breath a breath okay. here and and go back because you said you know you're so new you were so new to the publishing world. This was your first. That was book. the first one. Yes, the informationist. And so, going through this process, you you release the book, and I, I don't think people maybe understand what it's like to get that first negative review or that first review that questions your your research as a writer or something, what did it feel like to you when you, when you first saw the first review that, that said, this is crazy. No one could do that. Well, I'll give you a very brief explanation about it now. And then we should probably do a podcast about that. Cause we could fill a whole chunk of time with that. Um, it was, it was like, um, Oh God, how do you, it, it was like somebody kicked you in the head. Like you, it, or it was like um, being gagged and tied up, and then listening to everybody say all these horrible things about you, most of which weren't true, and the things that were true had explanations, but you're not allowed to say anything. And then everybody dogpiles on that, and, and now everybody thinks all these awful things about you, and you didn't get to have any say-so, and they were wrong, and nobody listened to what you had to say, and it was just awful. But, you know, you grow a thicker skin and you get past it. Now, with that being said, I've seen the reviews. We're talking specifically about the informationists today, or, or right now with the languages thing. And the reviews for the informationists were overwhelmingly positive. But even when it's overwhelmingly positive, there's a percentage that are negative. So uh, are, are you one of those people who sees the 10 negative reviews and skips right over the 150 great reviews? I think 99.9% of the population does that. <laughs> Humans are hardwired to focus in on the negative. That's just the way that, that our brains work. And it took me a long time. I mean, The Mask is now book five and a half. And, um, and I'm finally at that place where, oh, it's a negative review. Okay, whatever. And I've, and I've started <laughs> to, to learn that, you know, it's like, as humans, we're, we project ourselves onto everybody else. So, um, you know, I am naturally the type of person that will research and question and, and look and try and find facts because I love to learn things and I hate it when I'm wrong. So I, I just naturally assume that people who are telling me that I'm stupid and that nothing I do makes sense and that, you know, just these really not nice things about me personally, they've never met me, they don't know me, but they're saying these horrible things about me, that they must be educated and really know their facts. And so you put so much more credence on what they're saying than what I should, where in in reality, for all I know, this person is, you know, dealing with mental health issues and um, is having a, a, a day where they're completely 
flipped upside down and they are venting it online and they sound very credible, but I don't know what's going on with them. So I really shouldn't give it that level of credence because who knows who they are? And I know what they're saying is false. So me, you know, but it, it took a long time to get to that. You obviously didn't let it affect your the, the way you tell a story because the languages is a part of every single of Vanessa Michael Monroe there, book. Yeah, and, there are a few things that will feature uh, her scars, knives, languages, and her gender bendy aspect, which we'll talk about in a, in another uh, podcast. But it did. I mean, when people have valid critiques, I love you know when people are honest in a way that is not just trashing me as a person, but they're saying, you know, this, that, the other. If they're right, I'll take it under advisement. Um, there are things that, that occurred in the first book that we'll never see happen again because, yeah, they were right. I mean, not that it couldn't have been done, but when you add so many things onto one character, it becomes unbelievable. So, you know, what, what the heck? Let's remove a few of them, no biggie. So, yeah, I'll take it under advisement, absolutely. I don't mind that type of, of criticism because it's, it's constructive. It's when it's... Uh, you know, just tar and feathering and, and snide and using, making fun of the author as a way to make themselves look good. It's kind of not cool. All right. As we wrap up on languages today, give us. (laughs) (laughs) I, I want to say, I want to say something specifically about languages as it pertains to the mask. And that is that, um, in in with the way that Monroe's brain works in languages, mm-hmm. um, it's all oral. It's not it's not visual, and so in order for her to understand the what the written language, she has to be able to read it and pronounce it so that she can then hear it and translate it and interpret it. And in Japan, she's not able to do that because the the Japanese written language is a code. And she doesn't have the skill to just go in there and learn how to read a language in in two months. That's not what her brain is doing. And that would have been unrealistic. So in, in in the mask where she's in Japan, her hands are somewhat tied because her typical ways of being able to research things and learn things, a lot of it is from from reading and accessing technology, uh, as well as being boots on the ground and just integrating. So she can do the integrating thing and the culture thing, but she can't do the legwork um, on the side. And so she has to rely on other people to get that for her because she herself is handicapped just like anybody else would be. I will say that I felt like I understood her process. This is poorly phrased, but the way she processed language is a little bit better after reading this book than I did before. But maybe it's just because it's the one that I've read most recently. But it seemed more clear to me because of the whole thing where she couldn't read the languages and she just had to process it all in her mind and the way she does it, uh, it, it, it makes sense. And that's why I never questioned it, because it made sense to me. The fact that I couldn't possibly do something like this has nothing to do with it. Uh, surely there are people who can do it. And it's exciting to read. I, you know, if you wrote a book about me, I would be bored to tears and uh, close it on the third page. So we like to read about people that can do things that we can't do. Yes, and uh, I, I love the whole languages thing. Now, I've read some of this stuff, a lot of it in the books, but I've read some of it on your website and other ways. What's, your, what's a great way for people to learn more about this if they're interested? Well, I do most of my um, communicating with my, with my readers and fans uh, through email. 
I, I put so much in email that never shows up online because I want to invest in that relationship with my readers in a way that I know that they want it. It's not just going out there into the internet to to die and ignominious, however you pronounce that word, death. So email, please. There's a link on my website. Uh, it says connect with me. It's a tiny little web form, and that will get you hooked up. And um, I email on a very regular basis. I email two different types of things. One is all the stuff that we've been talking about and about the publishing industry, and the other is just newsy things. And people can have the option to get one or the other or both. But once you sign up, that'll get you logged in, get you hooked up on both, and then you can change your settings as, as you wish. There's so much interesting stuff that goes out, and I, I adore the people. I call them my cool kids the readers and the fans that are on that list. Uh, we interact. I, I answer. I read every email response that I get. I'm not always able to answer every single one, but uh, I do answer when I can. And I think that if you're listening now and you're not already a cool kid and you find any of this fascinating, <laughs> then you should become a cool kid and come walk with me on this crazy journey through publishing. You heard me mention that the phrase cool kids in the beginning of the episode. I have been a cool kid for a couple of years now. I have learned so much from Taylor's email list. Taylor, what's the exact link where people can go to find this? The exact link is www.taylorstevensbooks.com slash connect.php. But you can just go to taylorstevensbooks.com. There's a connect with me link up there and uh, that'll get you to it. And what will they find if they just go to taylorstevens.com? Probably not your email list. I think taylorstevens.com is a spa somewhere. You're right. It is. That's right. Because I've tried that. And there's Tay <laughs> Stevens, which is the busty, the busty webcam queen. And then there's me, which I probably don't get near as much traffic as she does. But my stuff is good. But you get a more literate uh, crowd. I don't know. You know, I'm sure people who like to see boobs are literate, too. <laughs> All right. And on that note, uh, next week, we're going to, since, since we've moved on to boobs now, we're going to be talking about boobs in the next episode. No, we are not. When we're, we are talking about Vanessa Michael Monroe's ability to change oh, gender. Yes, we So are, we won't then. talk specifically about boobs, but we will be talking about some gender bending stuff awesome. in the next episode. So tune in then.